John 4, 23, Jesus says, A time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Jesus says, The Father is seeking true worshipers, and true worship is worship that occurs in spirit and in truth. There is an emptiness about religion that we want nothing to do with here. Routine and ritual are not wrong as long as we know why we're doing it and what it means. Routine and ritual are not wrong. But they become empty when we forget why and we just do it because that's what our church did. Or did it because mom and dad said this was really important. Or our Sunday school teacher told us we had to do this when we were a kid. That's when things get really empty. Jesus said, the Father is seeking true worshipers. And the definition of true worship is in spirit and in truth. When we get into lifeless ritual just for the sake of morality, for the sake of tradition, then we have empty religion. And we don't want that here. We want real, powerful worship that results in a spiritual event. So I want to talk to you this morning about communion, the Lord's Supper, and how we do it at our church and why, and worship, how to worship in spirit and in truth in that context. Worship can take on lots of different forms. We can sing, we can pray, and we can dance or talk to God in various ways. But one of the ways that we worship the Lord is at his table. Churches call it lots of different things. It's called the Lord's Table. It's called Communion. It's called the Lord's Supper. It's called Holy Communion. Some churches call it Eucharist. It has lots of different names, but I want to talk to you about that this morning. And some of the older folks in our church through the years have expressed concern about the way that we take the Lord's Supper, that it's too informal or people are too casual about it and, and so on. And you're right. I have told you in the past that I grew up in a church that made communion so formalized that it got to the point where it was a fearful legalistic ritual that everybody honored, but nobody really had any meaning for. We did it every Sunday. We did it in the same place, every service. Stand up, sing this, sit down, pass, pray, pass, pause, pray, pass is what we called it. And it was just the way we, we had to do it. And, and it really had no meaning or value. So I appreciate the way that this church has done communion during the worship service as part of our worship to the Lord. It's a family affair. It's welcoming. It's not scarily sober. It isn't closed off. But the way we do it was set up 14 years ago by Pastor Duane, and we just do it because that's the way he wanted it done. And I've never changed anything. And I'm changing it this morning. I have what I think is the word of the Lord, and we're going to do something different. Not because the way we've been doing it is wrong, but I would agree that there is something that needs change. And it's not a change in form or ritual, but a change in faith. That we know what we are doing and why we are doing it, and that we expect to actually meet with Jesus while we take communion. And what does that mean? What does it mean to at the Lord's table to be in spirit and in truth? What, is that, what does that mean? So I want to teach you what it is 
and so that you will have faith in the spiritual power of communion with Jesus Christ. I want us to worship in spirit and in truth. So what does it mean to be a spiritual Christian in the context this morning of communion? But usually when we use the word someone is spiritual, really normally when people use that word, they really just mean religious. Somebody that prays a bunch and they read their Bible every day and, and they're a spiritual person. But spiritual means spirit. That if something is spiritual, it means there's a spirit present and active. And that we're not just mindful or active in earthly things, but that there is a spirit actually present. And we want God's Holy Spirit at what we call his table. He should be there. Right? So I just want to start with the basics, and, and we're going to talk about the actual spiritual power that Jesus said is in communion, and why we do it, and what we're doing, and let's do it with faith. So 1 Corinthians 11 says this, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you drink this cup, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, which means dying. People in the church are dying. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. This passage and the story in the Gospels is the reason why all Christian churches do what we do. We're obeying what Jesus told us to do. He took two of the elements from the ancient Israel Passover that he and his disciples were eating the night before he was crucified. He took the bread and the wine and he made it about his death on the cross. Essentially, he brings himself as the Passover lamb. He says all of this for the last thousands of years that Israel has celebrated the Passover, that lamb is me. I am the lamb of God. As scripture says elsewhere, he makes himself the object of the Passover, and we call it the Last Supper. Um, it is about his crucified body and blood. And he told us to eat it in remembrance of him. He said to do it until he returns. He said to proclaim his death as we do it. And Paul says we have to do it in holiness or we will eat judgment upon ourselves. And Paul says many so-called Christians are weak or sick or have even died because they took it in unrepentance and unholiness. So if there is that much power in it, then it's not symbolism. Jesus said it's real and it's spiritual and it brings life. And Paul says, if we partake in unrepentant, hidden sin, we will die. That's not some empty tradition. That's real spiritual power. 
In John 6, Jesus said this about himself. John 6, 51 to 58. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me, and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die, but will live forever. So here's this passage that the rest of the chapter goes on to say everybody left Jesus because they, who is this weird rabbi that's talking about cannibalism? But Jesus is talking about things of the spirit. He says, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. He says, if you eat my flesh, I come into you. I live in you, and you will never die. Well, this body is going to go ahead and die. So he is talking about spiritual truth, not physical immortality. You with me? Okay. We know he's not talking about cannibalism, and he's not talking about this body living forever. He's talking about the spiritual world, and he says it is real. Hello. The spirit world is real, and in the spirit, my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink, and when you eat and drink me, I come into you, and you will never die. Can I get an amen? All right. Jesus said, when you eat my flesh and drink my blood... I live in you. Let me say that again. When you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I move into you. I live in you and I bring eternal life from the Father into your body. We call this communion. The word communion means to become one. We become one with Jesus. When we eat at the Lord's table. When we eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood, he moves into us and we become one. Okay. We know we're not eating human flesh and drinking blood. We understand in the natural it's crackers and grape juice. But by faith... In what Jesus said, we know that spiritually, Jesus is not talking about symbolism. It's real. He said, my body is real food, and my blood is real drink, and I will truly move in, and I will truly give you eternal life, and you will truly never die. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10, where Paul is writing 
to Greek Christians who live in the city of Corinth in ancient Greece. In ancient Greece, they had a lot of gods. Zeus and Diana and Aphrodite and Athena and all sorts of names. It was totally everybody's experience that I believe in all these different spirits and gods, and if I need what this God offers, then I go to that idol's temple today, I make a sacrifice that was usually either a small animal or food or money. I go and I make a sacrifice to this God, and I pray and I ask for whatever it is I want, whether it's God of fertility or God of good crops or the God of rain or whatever it is that they're needing. They go and they try to get what they want from this God. And two weeks later, I might be in a different idol's temple over here praying for something different, and I make a sacrifice to that God. And everybody did this. So when Greek Christians heard Paul or some other missionary preach Christ and they believed in Jesus, a lot of them just added Jesus to their pantheon. Okay, sure, yeah, I'll believe in him too. Sounds good. Yeah, fire insurance from Hades. Sure, yeah, great. So it sounds really crazy to us that there could be people who truly believed in Jesus, but then also went over to these idol temples and made sacrifices and prayers and things. But in Greece, that was not, that was not strange at all. Everybody believed in everything. So Paul has to combat this. He's not angry. He knows why they're doing it, but there is a group who is not do not understand holiness to Jesus. That if you want Jesus Christ, you cut yourself off from everything else. That you are dedicated only to him, that he's, only, he's the only real Savior. There is only one God. All the rest of these things are meaningless and empty and lifeless. So the fact that Paul has to say that makes total sense in that world, in that culture. To us, it may like, how could they possibly have said they believed in Jesus but also Zeus? It, it made total sense then. So Paul has to write this passage to these believers who are in the church, but also going around all these idol temples, making sacrifices and praying to the idols too. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 10, 14 to 21. My beloved friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people, so judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the word communion there could be translated, it has the idea of fellowship or participation or oneness or knowing in the Bible sense of I know because I've experienced something. So Paul says the cup of blessing, the cup of wine at communion, he calls it the cup of blessing. And he says it's, it's the sharing in the blood of Christ. He says it is oneness with the blood of Christ. It is an experience of the blood of Christ. It is participation in the blood of Christ. Are you with me? He says, the bread which we break, is it not the communion or the sharing or the participation in the body of Christ? For though we are many, we are one bread and one body, for we partake of that one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But the idol sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship or communion 
with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part of the Lord's table and the table of demons. 1 Corinthians 10, 14 to 21. So here's Paul. He has to write to these Christians. They're true believers. They're in church on Sunday. But then they're in the idol's temple. There are other days of the week. And he says, hey, hey, listen up. When we take communion, you are participating in becoming one with, as you drink it, you are becoming one with the blood of Jesus. And you, when you eat the bread, you are becoming one with the body of Christ. And physically, we now know in a sense of modern science and medicine, we know when you eat something, it goes into you and it becomes a part of you in a way that maybe they didn't even understand. But even at a physical level, that's true. But, but certainly, spiritually, we are participating in the death of Jesus Christ and his price that he paid for our sins. And Paul says, it happens when you eat and when you drink. And then he goes into this wild, by our standard, all cultural standards today, he goes into this wild example that he says, in the same way that the people who go to those idol temples and they, they sacrifice an animal to that God and then they eat it, they are participating with, one translation says they are partaking of, they are eating a demon. He says, if you go and eat and drink at a demon's table in the temple of Athena or the temple of Zeus or wherever it is you go, you are, when you eat the sacrifices, you are partaking of demons. Don't do that because you've already partaken of Jesus. But he uses this eating the sacrifice as the point when we partake of the demon. And Jesus says, when you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I live in you. There's a spiritual connection when we participate in the Lord's Supper, when we participate in faith, we should actually believe that something happens. That there is an experience of connection between us and Jesus. There's a oneness. There's a communion. There's a fellowship. There's a knowing. Paul, in trying to explain to them not to go to the idol's temple and eat there because they're participating, they're actually ingesting the demon. He uses the example of communion like every Christian would just totally understand that, that when you take communion, you're ingesting Jesus. And we've totally lost that. Paul uses that as the proof why they shouldn't go worship demons. But I'm guessing that at least half of you are really weirded out right now. But Paul just totally takes it for granted that when we take the Lord's Supper, we're ingesting Jesus. When you go to the idol's temple and you eat what is offered there, you are participating in, you are partaking of demons. And Paul says, I don't want you to do that. He says specifically, is the idol anything? No, it's not. But when you have faith in that, you are opening up to a spirit. So in the same way, Paul says, and Jesus say, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, when we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we are receiving Jesus into us. 
Our faith is not in the crackers and the grape juice. Our faith is in Jesus. Our faith is not in doing some ritual. But as we do it with real faith and real repentance and real thankfulness for what the ritual represents, there is real food and real drink that really makes our spirit alive. Amen. This example that Paul uses about going and feasting at the table of demons, it still happens today. The pagans still do the same thing. I could tell you stories all day long, but I just tell you a few examples of what Paul means when he says this. A Haitian voodoo priestess. Somebody goes to her and they want to get rid of sickness or they want to contact a spirit or whatever. She will cut the head off a chicken and collect its blood. And then there's dance and there's song and drums and I don't know what all order this is, but at some point after she's danced herself into a frenzy, she will drink the blood of the sacrifice and she expects to become possessed by the spirit that the offering was made to. I'm not here to argue with any of you who don't believe in hocus pocus. I'm telling you that just their expectation is that when they eat the sacrifice, they make contact with the spirit. Mexican shaman in the jungle in South Mexico, people come for healing or, you know, we got a bad spirit bothering us. Can you get rid of it? He will kill an animal. And the meat is there and the blood is collected and there might be other things like a feather or a rock or whatever and there's words and there's tequila involved. And, but at some point in the ceremony, he will eat some portion of the sacrifice or the offering that's made to the quote-unquote gods and he will expect to make contact. In the eating of the sacrifice, it, the spirit comes into him. I could tell you some wild stories of what the native tribes in North Manitoba do and believe. I, I've told you a lot of stories, but I have not even begun to tell you the black magic stuff. Um, Oyvind told me when they lived in Shimadawa, which is the fly-in town that he and I visited last month, I told you about all that, how just crazy life was there. When they were, when their son was brand new baby, born, maybe he was maybe a month old, a few weeks old, and their daughter was probably three, they had two 17-year-old girls walk up to him and ask to borrow their children. And uh, he said, I thought they were offering free babysitting. So I said, sure, yeah, let me go out, uh, tell Inger. And he said, I was very naive. He said, I went in and I told Inger, and she had enough sense to discern things. Something's wrong. No, they cannot borrow our children. So he went out and told them, no, you can't borrow our children. Week or two or three later, one of those 17-year-old girls and an adult man kidnapped a baby and they rode in the canoe across the river and they put the baby on a rock and they stomped its head to death as an offering to their ancestral gods. This stuff still happens. It happens in North America. And again, I, you may think that's, that's all superstition and that's fine but they don't which is why they do it which is what makes it powerful so Oyvind told me that at every single funeral even the funerals of the Christians there are quite a few believers but most of their family usually aren't so at every single native funeral 
the practitioners of what they call the ancient religion, their native uh, ancestral religion, which is all spiritism, sweat lodge, smoking stuff and have visions kind of stuff, they will, at the funeral dinner, they will prepare a paper plate of food from the potluck and they will, for lack of a better word, they will pray over it and, and give it to the spirits. And they, it's food for their ancestors. They do this at every single funeral. And they will go out and lay it out on the tombstone in the cemetery. So, again, I, some of you believe in this stuff, uh, that it's real, and others of you think, well, a rodent comes by and eats the food. But it doesn't matter. They believe it's real. It's where their faith is. So Oyvind has been asked, will you bless this plate of food? And, and he has to say, absolutely not, because my scripture says I cannot eat at the table of demons and the table of the Lord. So regardless of what you believe about Satanist stuff and magic and those kind of things, they do believe it, which is what makes it powerful. If you believed in the Lord, it would be powerful. I, I have one more example, and you're going to think I've totally changed the subject, but I haven't. This stuff, this craziness came up in the latest WikiLeaks email dump. That John Podesta, who was chief of staff under President Bill Clinton, he is now an official of the Clinton Foundation, and in the middle of these thousands of emails of all of the financial corruption and the government corruption and child trafficking and all the garbage that the Clintons are involved in, there's one email to John Podesta from a woman who I will not name because I don't want you to go Google her. Just one email from her to Podesta. This woman has 56 works of art on display right now at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. They're all grotesquely perverted, nasty, nasty stuff. She calls herself an artist, but what she does is at museums and shows in front of high-class people in tuxedos and evening gowns, she strips naked on a stage and cuts herself with 20 different knives and just bleeds for them, and that's her art. She is Lady Gaga's uh, main, quote-unquote, um, what's the word, art consultant. So this is Lady Gaga on steroids. She shows up in this John Podesta email, and, and the email is, are you and your brother going to come to my spirit dinner that I invited you to? That's all the email is. There's obviously been a previous invitation to this spirit dinner. And there's no reply from Podesta necessarily at that point. But So what's a spirit dinner? Well, we can know because she wrote a cookbook. And it's for sale. It's printed in real human blood and saliva. And the recipes are how to prepare food to contact spirits. Again, it doesn't matter if you believe this is all craziness. She's a psycho, okay? But... This is what she sells. The, one of the recipes is you need freshly expressed human breast milk combined with a couple other bodily fluids that I will not name because it's too disgusting. You stir them together, and at the right exact time of night, you drink it, and you will lose consciousness, and you will make spirit contact. That's her word. My word is possession. 
And this is top Democrat official going to this spirit dinner of this lady. Now, lady's a nice, but probably an exaggeration. So Paul says, 1 Corinthians 20, 10, 20, the idol sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. I do not want you to have any fellowship or communion with demons. So I'm not here to argue those of you who have don't believe in hocus pocus and all this stuff. It's all just superstition. Fine. I'm not going to waste my time trying to convince you in this setting. But I would ask you, if you don't believe in an eternal spiritual realm with both good and evil, then why are you here? And what do you do with the Gospels that clearly and unashamedly tell of Jesus and many others and their interaction with the spirit world, both light and dark? It is real. And communion is not symbolic. There is real power in it. It is supposed to be a real experience because Jesus said in John 6, my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven, and anyone who eats this bread will not die, but will live forever. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me, and I in him. Again, when he said that, everybody laughed. <laughs> and then he asks the disciples, are you going to leave too? Peter says, well, I don't understand you either, but I know that you have the words of life. <laughs> so... We know that people at the time misunderstood, people now misunderstand. This is not cannibalism, it's not magic, it is by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. When we take communion, we are actually supposed to have communion, to become one with Jesus as we eat his body and drink his blood. Jesus said, the Father is seeking those who will worship in spirit and in truth. So my question this morning to you is, how are you in the spirit while you take communion? Are you doing it just because it's what we do on the first Sunday of every month? Or whatever your church does, some churches do it every Sunday, some churches do it once a year. Are you just doing it because that's what the preacher or the priest said to do? It's just what we do? Or are you in real connection with Jesus. You're supposed to be. In real connection with Jesus. Are you expecting to have communion? Are you expecting to have oneness, fellowship, to experience Jesus? When Paul says, if we take it wrong, we will get weak or sick and even die. That isn't symbolism. If it has physical consequences because of spiritual power, it isn't symbolic. So I say, if we take it right in humility and in repentance and in faith, it ought to bring blessing. Because Paul calls it the cup of blessing. Come on. Do you actually have faith that you are drinking in a blessing? 
Paul says it's the cup of blessing that we bless. Are you actually ingesting the Holy Spirit? As we, in real faith, in real humility, in real repentance, approach this table, we ought to experience supernatural peace, health, strength, the presence of the Lord, freedom from sin, washing clean, purity, righteousness, not just some empty routine that we do once a month, but we are actually becoming one with Jesus. So let me address real quick those of you who are scared about that unworthy manner thing. That was drilled into me as a kid, and what I saw that all the adults did in church was this. As soon as it was communion time, everybody gets stiff and bows their head and closes up and makes sure we're not doing it unworthy. And communion ended up being scary. What if I do that? The church I grew up in was so legalistic about it that you had to do it every Sunday or else. That several years ago, my grandmother, who is still alive, but had a health scare years ago and she thought she was going. And on her deathbed, which didn't end up being her deathbed, but she thought so. On her deathbed, the number one and only concern she had was that there had been two Sundays that she hadn't taken communion and she didn't know if Jesus would forgive her. That's how legalistically scary and sober and ritualistic my church made communion. So what does it mean to take it in an unworthy manner? Let me start with this. All of our approach to Christ, whether it's prayer or worship or asking forgiveness or coming to his table, all of it has to be by faith and not in fear. All of it has to be in faith and not in fear. And never, never, never can we come because we think we are qualified. If I think, oh yeah, I could probably take communion this Sunday because I did pretty well this week. I'm comfortable that God won't kill me. If that is the peace that you have in your heart, that is self-righteousness. That is the unworthy manner. And the worthy manner is, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I need your blood. I need your death. I need your body that was given for me. That's the worthy manner is to admit that we are sin sinners, not to stay away because I sinned this week and maybe God will kill me. Hello. We never ever can come in perfection. We can only come in repentance. So the unworthy manner is I come thinking I'm, I did pretty well this week or I come knowing I am hiding sin and I don't care. Hello. I'm not repentant. I know God told me not to do this, but he understands. It's all right. We're good. That's an unworthy manner. The only worthy manner is to come expressing our absolute desperate need for his body and his blood. Acknowledging our sin, not trying to think of everything that we might have done wrong and make sure we confessed it in case we dropped dead. 
It's ridiculous. But that's what I thought as a kid, because that's what I was taught. Never fear, but faith. Not perfection, but repentance. Not self-righteousness, but humility. That's the worthy manner. To confess that we did blow it 18 times this week, and we need you, Jesus. That's the worthy manner. Are you with me? Do you have some faith to come to the Lord's table this morning? That He is actually here in the Spirit, and as in faith we eat His body and drink His blood, that He lives in us and gives us purity from sin and eternal life. Communion is not a ritual the church does in remembrance of something 2,000 years ago, but that it is alive right now this morning. Not the crackers and the grape juice, but in our hearts, by faith, Jesus Christ is here, and he loves me, and he is washing me clean from sin, and I am alive. And this ritual has life and meaning and presence and Holy Spirit in it. Amen? Amen. So worship team is going to come up. We're going to worship into this for a while. And then we will take communion later in, at, toward the end of our worship service. If you would bow your heads with me while the worship team steps up. They're going to set up and get ready to lead us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for your torn up body and your spilled out blood. Thank you for the life that you poured out on our behalf in obedience to the Father. You gave us your life. And we receive your life as we eat your body and drink your blood. Lord, forgive us for coming to your table without faith. That we have come in emptiness and ritual routine that didn't mean anything to us. Maybe our understanding was incomplete. Or maybe we just didn't care. Lord, forgive us. This is the most valuable thing in the universe, is your body and blood. You are the most pure, the only pure and obedient son, the only acceptable sacrifice, the only spotless lamb. And you are our only hope for access to the Father for eternal life. So this morning, Lord, we repent of fear, of hiding sin, of faithlessness in our communion with you. We turn our faith on this morning, Lord. We hear your word and we receive it, that your body is real food and your blood is real drink. And there is power in your blood to wash us clean, to set us free from addiction and bondages, to heal our bodies, to fill us with joy and peace when there is none. Lord, you, everything bad that we have, you redeemed us from at the cross. And everything good that you have that you purchased at the cross, we receive from you now. We worship you. We love you. We praise your holy name. And we come in real faith that our communion with you is alive and present in your Holy Spirit right now. In your name we pray these things. Amen.